Hello everyone and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohen. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. You can get a 50% discount when you join the community and you'll get access to all our premium articles and locked archive. You will also be supporting independent, responsible media at a crucial time when our democracy is in peril. Your support is greatly appreciated. When did it when did we get to the point where we're always blaming our adversaries for the weakness of our candidates? Oh, it's the Democrats' fault, it's DOJ's fault, it's this person's fault, it's the media's fault. How bad it's his. He hasn't won a damn thing since 2016. Three-time loser. 2018, we lost the House. 2020, we lost the White House. We lost the United States Senate a couple of weeks later in 2021. And in 2022, we lost two more governorships, another Senate seat, and barely took the House of Representatives when Joe Biden had the most incompetent first two years I've ever seen in my life. Loser, loser, loser. Now we're getting going... It'll be different this time. Why? Why will it be different this time? Those arguments need to be made, and I'm not afraid to make them for two reasons. One, I'm not afraid of him. And two, it's the truth. That, ladies and gentlemen, was Chris Christie, who is running for president in 2024. And apparently the only Republican willing to say what everybody else uh, knows, that Trump is a flipping loser uh, and is almost certainly not going to win uh, if he, against Joe Biden. Right? Yeah, pretty much. It was, so, a very, it was a very good summary of why Trump is just not going to be a good president because he's terrible. Because he's awful. But anyway, listen. Hello, everyone. And uh, welcome to episode 76 of the Banter Roundtable podcast. We thought you'd play that nice clip. Uh, I agree with everything Chris Christie said, other than Joe Biden, other than him saying that Biden had a, a disastrous first two years in office, which was... I mean, it's disastrous for Republicans. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> not for everybody else. Right, like, you know, groundbreaking uh, infrastructure bills passed. Um, he, you know, restored function to the EPA. He restored function to uh, basically the federal government, uh, rallied the Western world against Putin. Um, I mean, I don't understand how it could have gone uh, much better, but uh, there you go. I mean, his it's characterization... Been good, it's been great. a pretty good two years. It was, a, it was a fantastic two years, and obviously culminated in him winning the... Uh, basically holding on to the to the Senate, which was, he wasn't predicted to do. So, anyway. Um, so, look, we have a good show for you today, everybody. We have lots to talk about. We have uh, Trump's second indictment. <laughs> uh, what would a plea deal look like? Is Trump going to ask for a plea deal? This is because it's so bad. The fact that he's facing four separate indictments in criminal charges next year, uh, the chances of him getting off four is uh, highly unlikely. Then we are going to be talking about two huge Supreme Court decisions. In um, uh, one of them is in Alabama, and the other one was in Iowa. Uh, then we are going to be talking about uh, the Fed pausing uh, rate hikes, which is more important than you might think it is. We have a both sides segment where we've got a slightly different take on our both sides segment this week. And then we're going to go into the members only section, which is the emergency meeting podcast, where we're going to be doing a deep dive on weirdo, uh, that's the best way I can describe her, Tulsi Gabbard, who's been going around claiming that Joe Biden is uh, prosecuting his his political opponent. You know, Trump's indictment is actually uh, Joe Biden leveraging the the U.S. government, weaponizing the U.S. government to go after political opponent. We're going to go into her the the weird cult that she grew up in and why Tulsi Gabbard is a very dangerous person. So we'll do a deep dive on that in the emergency meeting. So Justin, I don't want to uh, I don't want to hold back. I don't want you to hold back on this. Uh, Trump's second indictment is big. <laughs> Now, last week, we thought when we were recording, it was a few hours off into the future when we recorded. We thought it was only, quote unquote, seven, seven counts. But nope, turns out it's 27 counts. 
which is just like, yes, yes, it's so good. So yeah. Yeah, that, I mean that, we, that's we talk, so bad. We talked about we talked about the indictment last week and then the news broke, obviously. The the actual indictment was unsealed. He's so screwed. And and I, I wrote about this uh, on Monday for, uh, you know, fucking Mondays, which is uh, the, the column that's growing in popularity, people. If you're not re- listen, you're not reading the fu- It's Fucking Monday, or what, what did I call it? I've forgotten the name of it already. Um, I, I gave it, it this toast. Uh, I think he wrote his toast. It's Fucking Mondays. Um, sorry, Fucking Mondays. There we go. That's it. It's worse than you can possibly imagine. That was the oh, title okay, there you go. my piece. And I say, basically, I read the indictment and it, it's shocking. It's shocking beyond belief what this guy did. And I can't see any way this guy, he, Trump, is getting out of this. Absolutely no way. Right? The, the level of criminality and how blatant it was and how many people, like his lawyers have ratted him out, basically. Um, his lawyers told him not to told him not to d- defy subpoenas and he ignored them um, he moved it without their knowledge he tried to lie to his, his lawyers I mean it was absolutely crazy I'm gonna read to get one. his lawyers he tried to get his lawyers involved in it like and then when they yeah. said no he just kind of said fine whatever and they were like uh okay but now they yeah. know he committed crimes and they're not going to stay quiet and go to jail for him so so here we are. Listen, I'm just going to read one of them. This is count seven. On March 30th, 2022, the Federal Bureau of Investigation opened a criminal investigation into the unlawful retention of classified documents at the Mar-a-Lago Club. A federal grand jury investigation began the next month. The grand jury is- issued a subpoena requiring Trump to turn over all documents with classification markings. Trump endeavored to obstruct the FBI and grand jury investigations and concealed his, con- his continued retention of classified documents by, among other things, A, suggesting that his attorney falsely represented the FBI and grand jury that Trump did not have the documents called for by the grand jury subpoena, B, directing defendant Walton Norter to move boxes of documents to conceal them from Trump's attorney, the FBI and the grand jury, C, suggesting that his attorney hide or destroy documents called for by the grand jury subpoena, D, providing to the FBI and the grand jury just some of the documents called for the grand jury by the grand jury subpoena, or claiming that he was cooperating fully, and E, causing a certification to be submitted to the FBI and grand jury, falsely representing that all documents called for by the grand jury subpoena had been produced, while knowing that, in fact, not all such documents had been produced. That's just a, that's just a flavor of what they've got on this guy. Yeah, and now here, here's the important part. Nothing in the indictment has anything to do with him taking the documents in the first place. None of that's mentioned. This is after he was told, you have to give them back. Everything he did from that point forward is what this indictment is about. So none of it matters that he can say, well, I was allowed to take them. Oh, I declassified them. It's like, no, 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 no. After you were told you have to give them back and you were served with a subpoena saying you have to give them back, all the stuff he did after that to refuse the subpoena and avoid this and lie about it, blah, blah, blah. That's what he's being charged with. So there's no arguing about whether or not he was allowed to take them in the first place. But he was told and his lawyers told him you have to give them back. You're legally obligated to give them back. And then he committed the crimes. Right. And that's brilliant that they did that because there's no there's no muddying it up. There's no, well, this, well, that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happened before. It's what you did after those are the crimes. So he, he you know, Jack Smith is playing this really, really smart. Like yeah, I mean, he's, he's just being brilliant about this. Right, it's it's a it's a pretty airtight case. I mean, the fact that Trump's handpicked Attorney General Bill Barr, who was probably the biggest hack in DOJ history, right? The guy was handpicked to do Trump's dirty work. Was he was handpicked to weaponize the DOJ, right? This is why Trump got uh, picked him, right? Right. This guy, this guy, is hanging Trump out to dry. And I right. know a lot of it is Bill Barr's trying to rehabilitate his image, but man, he's not even trying to run interference for him. Yeah, 
he said, this is what he said, I quote, um, even if half of it's true, then he's toast. It's a very detailed indictment and it's very damning. And this idea of presenting Trump as a victim here, a victim of a witch hunt, is ridiculous. Yes, he's been a victim in the past. Yes, his adversaries have obsessively pursued him with phony claims and I've been at his side defending him against when he's a victim. But this is much different. He's not a victim here. He was totally wrong. Boom. Like, this is... Okay, I mean, if you've lost Bill Barr... Right. <laughs> you're, you're in even the biggest some of the biggest Trump stooges are out there like I think Alan Dershowitz is out there basically saying yeah Trump is fried on this one so I'm having a hard time seeing how he gets out of this right there's the fact that there are four separate criminal um, charges being brought up against Trump in next year means that I read a good piece I forget where it was um, that basically, I was in a, an illegal blog. I think it was. It was a legal website uh, where the writer was basically saying that. Let's think about it, right? In terms of um, the chances of getting convicted, let's say the chances of him getting convicted in any one of these four trials is like seventy percent, eighty percent, right? So he's got a chance of not getting convicted in a few of them potentially, but all four of them, no, yeah, good luck. no, yeah, he's not getting out of four separate trials. He's not getting becoming innocent. He won't be found innocent on four, in all four trials. No way. So in w- at least one of them, he'll get a prison sentence. So I cannot see how he gets out of this. So which brings us to what we're going to talk about next, which is um, a plea deal, right? Yeah, what, would, what would that be even be? Like, what, what could he do? What would a plea deal even be for him? Like, it would like I, so. All right, Rachel Maddow was talking about this last week, and and, and people kind of misunderstood what she was talking about. Um, she was ex, um, she was um, uh, comparing it to Spiro Agnew, right? Richard Nixon's um, vice president, where he took a plea deal to not go to jail if he resigned from the vice presidency and agreed to not go. Actually, he didn't really agree not to be in politics again, but he agreed to go away. And he did, for the most part, because they couldn't afford to have him because they knew Richard Nixon was going to be gone soon. And they couldn't afford to have him be president and be in jail. Right. Because that was a very real possibility. They had him dead to rights. He was going to jail. But there was a possibility that he was going to end up being president because Richard Nixon was going to be gone soon. Right. So they couldn't risk that. So they needed to have him go away before that happened. Fine. Cool. Um, So they had him plead out. No jail, take a hike. But Trump doesn't really have that option because he's not in office, right? And having it, like, he'll never agree to a plea deal in order to walk away from politics, right? I mean, he can't walk away from politics. It's all he has right now. Um, And he still needs, in his mind, to become president in order to evade jail. Because even if he gets a plea deal here, the other three aren't all going to give him plea deals too. Like he's not going to get plea deals from four different uh, indictments in order to avoid jail time. I just don't see that happening. Um, He needs to, as far as he's concerned, he needs to get in so he can pardon himself from the federal and then he's protected because he's president. And once he's in the White House, he's never going to leave because he plans on being a dictator, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So what's a plea deal look like? I don't really understand, like, you know, what what could they possibly offer him? Uh, Pay a fine? Reality Winter didn't get to do that. They certainly weren't going to offer that to um, uh, Edward Snowden, right? None of the, no no one who most, none of the people who mishandle documents like this get, you know, to pay a a fine and get to walk away from it. So, I mean, he does. What do they do? Here's the leverage I think that Trump has, right? The leverage Trump has is that because he's an insane person and he can do so much damage and he has, he's essentially created himself a mob, right? He's created a cult and a mob to go along with it. That will do his bidding. You know, they tried to overthrow the government in 2021 for God's sake. This is, so that's, that's, I believe his leverage. He has power over the GOP and he, therefore, um, you know, he, he does have a certain amount of leverage, but, he he's such an egomaniac. He's so narcissistic and insane that I mean, he was asked about taking a plea deal, and I think, and this is what he said. Uh, he said, "I forget who he was. I don't know who he was who he was talking to." 
But it was um, one of his other said, lawyers. It, it was, it, no, he was. He said during an, an interview with Politico, he he oh. said that he about to stay in the twenty. Here we are. He's about to stay in the twenty twenty four presidential race, and also called the prosecutors leveling the charges against him, thugs and degenerates. I'll never leave. Trump told the outlet. Look, if if I would have left, I would have left prior to the original race in two thousand sixteen. That was a rough one. In theory, that was not doable. Trump predicted that he will not be convicted on the federal charges stemming from the documents case. He also stressed that he would not accept a plea deal unless he was presented one, quote, where they pay me some damages. <laughs> right? So uh, he wants okay. money out of this, right? He, he, he wants money out of it. Out, that, that's why I think he'll, he'll ask for money because he's greedy. And, yeah, uh, here's 250 for a bus ride. Take a hike. <laughs> Jesus. But it, it may get to a point where, you know, maybe people in the GOP some some enterprising person in the GOP figures out, looks at the writing on the wall and says, okay, look, like he's going to destroy the party uh, if he keeps doing this. Um, therefore, we need to get this guy a plea deal uh, and try to, broker some, try, try to broker something. I don't know what that would look like or how that would happen, uh, but it would have to come with a presidential pardon, right? He, he would, that, that's my guess. My guess would be that it'd have to come from the Biden White House. They'd have to they'd have to uh, pardon him, on pre-pardon him. I don't even know if that's possible. But uh, the problem it, with the pardon is that you have to admit that you did something, and Trump will never. That's the thing with the pardon. You have to say, "Yeah, I'm guilty. I accept the pardon." Right. And he, he can't, can't do that. Do that. Uh, and also, I, I know people keep talking about um, Biden pardoning Trump, and. I'm super uncomfortable with that idea because, you know, yeah, sure, it would make Trump go away, but that actually would be Biden interfering with the election. Biden giving him a pardon to make him go away would be Biden using his power to remove a political opponent. Like, that's not what Biden's doing now, but that would be Biden doing that. And I would not be comfortable with that. This gets us to the Tulsi Gabbard. We're going to talk about that in the emergency meeting podcast about how Tulsi Gabbard is framing this whole thing, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that that this is, you know, he's not going to get a plea. He's not going to get any plea deal. He won't. Maybe people around him will realize that how futile the defense is. I mean, the fact that he's lost two lawyers already. Right. right? Exactly. And I'm uh, sure uh, he'll lose more. <laughs> He'll lose more, right? Because it's essentially an unwinnable case. What is it? The conviction rate is like in in um ninety nine point six percent. Yeah, federal so prosecutors the, have a ninety nine point six percent conviction rate because only two percent of defendants go to trial. Ninety percent plead out. Eight percent have the charges dismissed. And I think he's hoping to, he'll be that eight percent, but not with the evidence they have against him. That is no. just not going to happen. No, no, I, I don't want to speculate on this, but um, I think that the chances of him getting away with this are again. I'm not a legal expert, so I want to always preface this right. But there's no way that you can read these charges, right? The fact that his lawyers, right? So um, and it's on tape, tape. <laughs> right? It's on tape, but also the fact that his lawyers have flipped on him clearly. Right, he, they clearly have witnesses everywhere. They've got a whole line of witnesses stacked up, right, including his own lawyers that he paid to work for him, who have turned on him and said, "No, no, no, no! This guy tried to direct us to do something illegal. I'm not doing that." Like, how bad can it get if your own lawyers are turning on you and and becoming witnesses in a trial? And they had copious notes. They had a whole lot of notes about this. So it's yes, not like... because they're fucking yeah. lawyers. Exactly. Right? It's not hearsay. It's notes, contemporaneous notes. Right, 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 right. So again, I, I try to look at this as sort of um, subjectively as possible. Um, also, rather objectively as possible, and take my subjective opinion that he's clearly my subjective opinion is that he's clearly guilty. But you look at it objectively, and you think, okay, from a legal point of view, what is this, how bad is this? And you look around, and it almost it's almost unanimous, right? With legal experts a- across the political spectrum, and they're all saying the same thing: he's done, it's finished. That is that's the end of it. You know, I've been speaking to people saying, you know, well, we've always been saying that that's the end of Trump, and but it, he hasn't. Not like this. He's not the president anymore. He doesn't have the White House to, to uh, as a right. sort of a shield against against prosecution. He can't pardon himself unless he becomes president. I mean, I, I wrote a long piece this week 
we are in a race against time basically right so um the will these trials will he get indicted fast enough right will he get will there be a conviction fast enough and he be sentenced to jail fast enough and even if that happens he can still run from jail right there's nothing in the constitution that prevent that prevents him from doing that Right, but even if he manages to pardon himself, he can only pardon himself from the federal ones. He can't pardon himself from the uh, three different state uh, indictments that are well, the one current and the two others that are coming. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a huge, that's a huge legal quagmire, right? Because if he's a president and he's um, uh, required to go to jail in in you know in Georgia, for example, w- what does that look like? Because um, I find it unlikely that Georgia is going to, you know, they're going to send troops into Washington. Yeah, <laughs> that seems him. unlikely. <laughs> it seems unlikely, right? So the the thing is, is that he, if he becomes president, he, he will get away with it, right? And that's so, you know, in the piece that I wrote this week, like that, that's it. That's the end of American democracy. If if right. he if he gets indicted and if he gets elected at the same time, the, the American democracy is, is finished. Right, that that's it. It, it doesn't. Rec- I don't think it recovers from 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 that, um, because you, you know, if you think about what he did in his first term, what would he do in his second term as a criminal? Oh, right? God, it would be it would be unbelievable because he would have nothing to lose at that point. He was like, I can do whatever I want because the second he, he steps foot out of the White House, he goes to jail. He's like, you know, he's already been if he gets convicted in Georgia, the second he steps foot out of the White House, he's no longer protected. They're going to go, OK, time for jail for you. You're done being president. So he will never leave the the White House. Right. And he'll also, um, you know, with his limited capacity to for learning um, from his past mistakes. The one mistake I think that he did learn from in his first term was having people around him who disagreed with him. And what you saw over four years was basically Trump getting rid of people who disagreed with him, right? Or people, who, right? And oh, so he by would the end purge, of it, he would purge the federal government. Yeah. So, so can you imagine what that would be like in a second term when he's basically wanted on criminal charges in in uh, at least one state, um, and also uh, you know has pardoned himself for um, essentially mishandling stolen document, uh, mis- mishandling classified documents. Uh, obstructing justice, um, et cetera, et cetera, trying to rig an election and so on. Um, he would purge the government. He would purge the military. That yep. would be the one. He would purge yep. the military. And once the military was completely staffed with uh, you know, Trump loyalists, it's like, well, there you go. Time for time for military rule. And it would be time to leave the country. So, yeah. Yeah, so th- those are the stakes. So, so you know, my, my argument was that essentially we now have it's a race between extremism and moderation, <laughs> extremism and uh, or, uh, ideologues and, and realists in the country. Right? We have to m- hope that enough uh, uh, political realists band together to create a big enough coalition to stop this madness to make sure that you know Biden remains president. Um, because without that. You know, the far left and the far right are going to do everything they can to destroy the center and destroy the Biden presidency. So there's a race against time, basically. Mm. Who, who who wins out? Uh, my guess is that luck is on our side, I would say. Um, it looks like the center is holding relatively well, that Trump is not popular. Bob wrote a great piece this week on um, why Trump's indictment won't help him. Uh, his popularity is in the toilet. He's at 31%. Uh, he'll be because he'll be facing four separate criminal trials next year. I don't see that as being a boon to his campaign because he's going to have to spend a lot of time in court, right? Not like Trump does well when he's out doing rallies, right? Right. If he's in court, he's not doing rallies. Well, it's important to note the people who are screaming the loudest about how you know all these indictments they're only going to make him stronger are also the same people who are screaming that it's tyranny and it's terrible and they should stop doing it it's like yeah if you really believed that it was terrible and they should stop doing it then you wouldn't be so like yeah oh my god it's going to be great for him you should be excited that they're doing it you should want more of it but they yes. don't so yeah. yeah you can't you can't believe those two things at the same time so clearly they think this is going to be a problem for him right and and i think i think i've always been of the opinion that um you know, you should never really care what the Republicans say about anything because they're going to kick and scream anyway. Right? They, it, it doesn't really matter, you know, whether this pisses off the Trump base. Like, who cares? 
Um, and I also think I, I argue this in my piece, right? That one of the, the best strategies that we can have is to actually inflame the right without making them violent, right? Make sure that they're angry and crazy um, to drive normal people away from them. Um, so, which basically means, and how do you make the right crazy? It's by just getting on with the usual business of government, doing things competently. They hate that, right? By ignoring them. The more you ignore them, the angrier they get. The angrier they get, the more people are in the middle are turned off by them. So I think it, that's exactly what kind of Biden has been doing anyway. You know, I, I, I still think one of the best moves that Biden ever made was that speech where he, he, he essentially called uh, the MAGA part, wing of the Republican Party neo-fascists. Um, it's like, a, you know, and he 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 separated the the maggots from the Republicans. Right. And I think that that was a smart move to do because you want to drive a wedge in between your, you know, in your opponent. You want to make them divided. Right. Um, you want to give you want to give people who aren't like just fascist, curious or fascist, hardcore a permission mm. to not vote for the fascists. Mm. It's like, so I yeah, think, you, you don't know, have to vote for them. You can vote for normal people or just not vote. Right. Give right, them right. permission. And I think Biden, you know, Biden is he's done a good job of this, right? I mean, he he's avoiding inflaming the hard left. Uh he's the, the Bernie Sanders left is being fairly mute. I mean, they still kick and scream about stuff. But Biden's given he's done a lot of things. He's done a lot of stuff with like student debt forgiveness and um, yeah, they just sound more and more like Republicans at this point. The same thing that makes Republicans angry is what makes the alt left angry, which means that they don't really have anything real. Right, 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 right. And I also think that Biden is careful. He's he's careful around the the, the one worry I have is the identity politics crowd. Um, that 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 does concern me because that's what the Republicans feed off of. Um, they feed off of the, you know, I don't like to use this, the woke. I don't use, I use, use the term woke, but I will say identity politics ideologues, I would say. Um, and I think that uh, Biden is quite good on that stuff where he, he, he he's doesn't come out against it, but he's not out there promoting it either. Um, which is which is sort of where I'm at, where it's like, okay, like I don't agree with a lot of this stuff, but I don't think it's a huge problem. Um, but I think that if you the, if you play into it too much, it, it, it what that happens is it the moderate Republicans or moderate um, centrists are get get worried about that kind of thing. And Biden has done a fairly good job in, in no matter how much the Republicans talk about how Biden is, uh, you know, he's a woke communist and he's ushering, you know, he wants like. You want to trans your kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Biden's actually fairly, you know, he, he's fairly level-headed about this kind of thing. Um, and I, I think they need to keep, he needs to keep that going forward, right? So it's, you don't, um, and that's a political strategy, right? It's a strategy that you don't uh, alienate the middle, right? This, I mean, this is, you know, presidential politics is a hard game, right? It's, right. Not, it's, it's, it's not an easy game. So you've got to, you've got to pick your battles, uh, and I, I've seen Biden as being actually quite good at that. So uh, as as was Obama. Obama was an expert at not uh, basically, even though Republicans mercilessly went after him, uh, uh, and it, the culture war stuff um, that the Republicans kind of fed off of uh, during the Obama years was just crazy. And he never rose to it. He absolutely never rose to it at all. And as a result, a lot of people in the middle. You know, kind of liked him. You know, they didn't. You know, they they uh, they voted for him. You know, Obama actually got took quite a lot of, a lot of centrist votes in both two thousand eight and two thousand twelve. So, I, I see. You know, Biden and Obama are kind of from the same school of political realism, and I, um, yeah, I think it's a good formula. So we just got to stick to that. In, that, in in my opinion, yeah. Um. So. Tom Fitton, you've been in a in a real tizzy about this, Justin. Well, this is the guy that is pretty much guaranteeing that Trump's going to go to jail. He, he, instead of listening to his lawyers that he's paid an obscene amount of money up front, because if you're a Trump lawyer, you're not going to wait for to get paid later because Trump won't pay you. Um, Trump's been ignoring his lawyers and listening to Judicial Watch's Tom Fitton. Uh, Judicial Watch... Uh, if, if you are listeners are not familiar with them, 
They're a right-wing extremist group whose sole purpose is to undermine the legitimacy of government, right? They exist to undermine government using fake lawsuits. They, they just hit the government with, you know, Freedom of Information Act, and they sue for this, they sue for that. And it's all, they're, all their lawsuits are garbage, and most of them get thrown out, and then they scream about government conspiracies and tyranny and blah, blah, blah. It's an extremely well-funded rat-fucking operation. That's what they're there for. They're kind of like um, they're they're like another version of Project Veritas. Veritas sets up fake things. These guys do fake lawsuits. It's this. It's the whole. It's just part of their whole operation to undermine government because their whole their, the entire right wing project is to burn government to the ground. Because once you get rid of government, well, then the rich could do whatever they want, right? That's the whole libertarian concept. I'm filthy rich. I don't want to have anyone telling me I can't do what I want to do. So that's Judicial Watch. And for some reason, Trump has started to listen to the guy who runs Judicial Watch, which is his name is Tom Fitton, who is not a lawyer at all. He has no experience in the law. He has not taken any kind of law classes. He has no training in it. He just runs a website, uh, an organization that writes articles and does lawsuits. But back in 2012, Fitton had a lawsuit um, against Bill Clinton, where Bill Clinton had a bunch of audio tapes of interviews that he had given while he was president um, that was going to be in a book. And those Bill Clinton kept because they were just interviews, right? So that fell under the Presidential Records Act, which means because they're his records, right? He he created them. They're about him. They're not. They don't have a specific public uh, interest. It's not like a government document. So he got to keep those, and he took them home and he had them. And Tom Fitton found out about them, and he sued to have them reclassified as government records, so that he could say that Bill Clinton stole government records, kind of what Trump did. Right. Um, And blah, blah, blah. The courts threw that out and said, you're you're kidding. Right. These are not government records. They don't they're not. No, they fall under the president's record acts. They belong to the ex-president. That's his property. Fitton has told Trump that the documents he took. Are exactly the same as those audio tapes. So the nuclear rec- the nuclear secrets, same as Bill Clinton giving an audio, uh, giving um, an interview. The attack plans on Iran are exactly the same as Bill Clinton giving an interview and recording it on audio tape. Trump now believes that because Tom Fitton has told him that. And Trump wants to believe it because Trump believes what he wants to believe. So now he's got this idea in his head. That all, all the stuff that he took is under the Presidential Records Act, and therefore they're his, and he gets to keep them, which is not at all true. And that's why he's fighting this so hard, because he thinks they're his personal records. Even though, you know, the, the nuclear secrets, he didn't generate them. They're not, they're not like something that he personally created in an interview, blah, blah, blah. They're not his and on some, actually, I'm not saying on some level he understands that, but he probably doesn't because he's Trump. But Tom Fitton certainly understands that. Tom Fitton definitely understands that. Tom Fitton's a piece of garbage, but he's not stupid, even though he's not a lawyer. He's not stupid. He understands that, which means he's using Trump to cause a constitutional crisis of some sort. He wants to do this in order to have Trump basically have what's happening he wants this to happen because he wants to be able to whip up anger and rage on the right and scream about government tyranny which is exactly what he's doing because that helps advance the republican agenda of undermining people's belief in government and he doesn't really care what happens to trump if trump goes to jail that's not tom fitton's problem that just helps him be he'll go out there and say Trump is a political prisoner. Isn't that terrible? The government is run by tyrants. You should do something about it, et cetera, et cetera. That's what's happening here. And Trump is, it, is being used. 
Is he like a sort of a Steve Bannon character in some ways, would you say? Um, well, he's not as good as Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon was much, much better at his job than Judicial Watch is. I mean, Steve Bannon essentially got Trump elected. In I mean, Steve Bannon was a reckless, was a reckless, wild man as well. I mean, he wasn't like, you know, he was the architect of his own demise as well, Bannon. You know, he, right, he, he got super, both. super greedy. Um, right, right, right. Like all of these guys, they get greedy. They get a little bit of power. They get power hungry. You know, they get power hungry. They get power. They want more power. They destroy themselves. But Tom Fitton's been at this. He's been running um, Judicial Watch since I think 2003. So he's been at this like 20 years, and he hasn't been caught up in a whole bunch of uh, scandals and greedy. Although you know, if someone starts looking, because um, that could change. Who knows? But he's been at this for quite some time, and he's good at his job. He's not as good as Steve Bannon is, but, you know, Judicial Watch does a lot of damage, and it's convinced an awful lot of Republican voters that the government is insanely corrupt and irredeemable and blah, 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 which that's his job. That's his function. So, so it, it seems like uh, everything we're talking about today is actually pretty good news. Uh, for us, it certainly is. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> like the level of incompetence that you're seeing is, I mean, we were talking before the podcast that this this seems to me this is like a sign that the the GOP is it's in a tailspin now it's in real trouble uh, and you know Trump is go again taking a wrecking ball to everything and I think this is like you know as I argued in my piece as well like Trump Trump will destroy the the GOP. Um, running again i think republicans want this guy they want him dead or in jail they really do they are desperate for for him to go to prison right so he can stop destroying the party um but they're facing a whole load of other challenges right this week uh supreme court decisions right yeah there's been a very bad week for republicans in the supreme court it's been terrible for them they 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 got crushed um, in, in uh, gerrymandering, and they lost a really nasty case. Well, it's it's not as important as it. It's more important than it sounds, but people don't necessarily know about it. Uh, with the Indian um, Child Welfare Act, but let's start with the Alabama um, gerrymandering. Alabama had extreme gerrymandering. Um, Alabama has, I believe, about twenty four percent of its population is black. And they had gerrymandered it so badly that of its seven, I believe it's seven um, house districts, black people were all shoved into one. So that's obviously super racist. And it was intentional, obviously. Um, And they sued. And now the Supreme Court for the last several years has been really, really clear because it's been run by Republicans that they're okay. With that sort of thing. It's like, go ahead. You just go ahead and gerrymand it to your little heart's content. And if you disenfranchise all the black people in the country, we're okay with that. Right? They made it. That's why they gutted the Voting Rights Act in the first place. They wanted to make sure Republicans were able to suppress the vote as much as humanly possible. Because they knew Republicans were losing. And they had to give. They threw them a lifeline. A huge one. Um. But everyone was expecting this particular case to go the same way, and it didn't. Um, Kavanaugh and um, ugh, not Kennedy. Why do I? Yeah, no, Kennedy. No, not Kennedy. Oh my God! Why am I forgetting Roberts? Thank you, Jesus. Um, Roberts and Kavanaugh went the other way, and so did. Um, uh, Amy Comey, no, sorry, she was the other one. But yeah, they, oh no, I'm sorry, this was not, this did not go their way at all. I'm sorry, I just don't have the numbers right in front of me. Um, it was um, Alito and Thomas were in the minority, and they pretty much got blown out. The court went with precedent and said, yeah, we're not doing this at all. Now, mind you, this is the court that's been rejecting precedent, like last, um, I was going to say last semester, uh, in their last session, they just rejected precedent left and right. Like they, the entire year was marked by the court rejecting precedent in really super loud and obvious ways. But then there was a huge backlash. People got really, really angry. 
angry enough that Republicans got their ass beat in the midterms. And people have been screaming bloody murder at the Supreme Court about this. Um, So they walked it back real hard and said, maybe precedent's not such a terrible thing after all. Um, And they stuck with precedent and they slapped down uh, this court case in Alabama. And this has huge ramifications because they could have tried to make it a really narrow case where it just applied to Alabama, but they didn't do that. It's it's a you know this was like a regular Supreme Court case. They slapped it down and said, "You can't do this anywhere. We don't you know you cannot do this level of racial gerrymandering where you're disenfranchising people based on color, and that has huge spill-on effects. That means that maps in Georgia, Louisiana, and South Carolina." are almost certainly going to have to be redrawn redrawn ahead of the 2024 election. Um, I don't know how that's going to apply to other states that have been super racist racist in their gerrymandering. It may, it may not. I don't know. Those, these maps were particularly extreme, and they were particularly obvious in what they were doing. But ahead of the 2024 election, these maps were going to all but guarantee that Republicans held on to the House. And now it's not. Um, they've lost that built-in advantage that they had from the uh the the 2020 census. And that's a big deal because if they lose the House and we keep the Senate and Biden wins the White House again, that's a minimum of another two years that Democrats get to do what they want to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's a huge honking deal. Um, that is, and that the, is a huge deal. Yeah, the Supreme Court did that. Uh, so, Yahoo! Great. And what was the, the next one? The All right, was, so this was, was, this was the Indian Child Welfare Act. All right, this has been kind of going under the radar. Um, and this actually is probably not because of the backlash. Uh, because... Uh, Two years ago, I want to say, the, the Supreme Court also ruled in favor of Native Americans with, in Oklahoma. There was a huge um, case in front of them with that, and they ruled in favor of Native American, uh, the tribes in Oklahoma as well. There is a podcast, um, we're, we're promoting a different podcast, that's not ours, called This Land. That's really, really good. It's short. It's like maybe eight episodes for two seasons. And it's super, super helpful in explaining what's going on. The right, for whatever reason, the right hates Native Americans. They hate Indians. And I I never really quite understood why. I mean, other than they're not white. But I don't get what the problem is beyond that. They really seriously, seriously hate them. And this country has had a very long history of trying to wipe out Native Americans. And when when I say that, I don't mean, you know, cowboys and Indians way back in the Wild West type stuff. I'm talking about up until the 1970s, we were still trying really, really hard to wipe out Native American tribes. We were taking their kids as frequently as we could from their homes and putting them with white Christian families and teaching them. Do not speak your language. Do not practice your religion. Do not practice your culture. Be white. Act like a white person. It was basically cultural genocide, right? When we couldn't outright kill them, instead we just took them away from their families and tried to erase them. As it's, a what, it's exactly the same thing that happened in um, in Australia and Canada. Um, mm. Now, now this is not like something that we just did with Native Americans. Like when my father came here from Puerto Rico when he was five. He was in New York City, and they taught him in New York City public schools. Now, this would have been about 70 years ago. They taught him, do not speak your language. Do not speak Spanish. They taught him to be ashamed of speaking Spanish, which is why when I was a kid, he did not teach me to speak Spanish, which is why I do not speak any Spanish. Actually, none of my cousins speak Spanish. Like all of his brothers and sisters, all of my aunts and uncles, they were taught, do not speak your native language. And they 
did not teach their kids that. So none of my none of my cousins, none of us speak Spanish, um, which is super annoying because it was a pain in the ass in school when I was taking Spanish. It's like I should be a fluent Spanish speaker, but I am not. So, you know, that's a thing. That is just a thing that this country did, except with Native Americans. They did it. They went way harder with it. Um, So the Indian Child Welfare Act says, well, part of it is that when uh, um, an Indian child, a Native American child is taken from a home, right, for whatever reason, or if, you know, the parents die or, you know, when the kid has to be adopted or put in the foster system, that a Native American family will take precedence over anyone else, right? They're going to try to place that kid with a Native American family. Um, so in order to perpetuate, you know, the, the culture, to, to not try to erase this kid's culture. Um, and the right has been trying to destroy this law for decades, right? Under, oh, that's racist against white people. It's like, oh, okay, get over yourself. But the real reason that they're trying to get rid of it is because if they can remove the legal uh, the legal definition um, of, of Native American tribes, if they can remove that from the law books, that removes the basis for tribal sovereignty, which means they can go in and start taking tribal land again, which is something we have not been able to do for a very long time, we being white people. And greedy corporations, they want to be able to get into that land and just be able to take it through eminent domain and just, you know, all the different bullshit, shitty ways that they have of doing that. They cannot currently do that. okay? but if you get rid of that legal basis, then they can start doing it again. And there's a lot of money to be made by taking tribal land, a ton of money. And. This is this is like the this is like a really good way of doing it, and they haven't been, been working at it for decades. And the Supreme Court, the seven-two ruling again, again it was Thomas and Alito because they're just monsters. They the Supreme Court just said, nope, "Nope, we're not doing that." And again, it wasn't like a narrow ruling. They just made it super clear: oh, the Indian Child Welfare Act stands. I mean, we're this, not doing this. This seems to me uh, a sort of a case of that the Supreme Court sort of doing what it's supposed to do, right? Which is actually quite a narrow task that it has. Um, I know it's weird, <laughs> right? And and right, right, right. I mean, I know everybody was 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 very freaked out about uh, Amy Coney Barrett and the Trump's appointees and whatnot. And it, look, I, obviously it is bad, but if you look at the way that the legal system works and the way the Supreme Court is supposed to work. Right, they usually rule on precedent, and they—it's it, essentially, um, you know—they don't see a lot of cases. Right, they're like, it shouldn't. Most cases shouldn't get to the Supreme Court, um, right. but and when they do, they—it's it, on very, very strict legal grounds. Right, they—you they, know—they're looking at legal language. They're not making. They shouldn't really be making political decisions at all. Um, so this is it does seem to me in in one you know in one sense of the word like and and the supreme court functioning as it should do right which is not um as an activist branch of, of government no it really shouldn't it never should have been i mean i know it's it's always been a very um right wing thing in this country mm-hmm. and it's really always supported the right wing through the majority of its existence but, you know, it really shouldn't be that way. Mm. And it's taken a real hardcore activist stance in the last couple of years. And it's kind of backed off in this last uh, um, session. So, yeah, it, no, notably so, notably so. Um, the, biggie, it, that, the biggie one that's coming is Moore versus Harper. That's the one that goes with um, congressional redistricting and election rules. Right. That If they... If they rule against that one, that's the one that if um, where the oh my God, it's the independent state legislature theory, which Republicans made up from whole cloth, which would give Republican legislatures the ability to just do anything they want with no ability for state Supreme Courts to say no. Yeah. And they could just ignore state constitutions as well. If the state constitution says 
it has to have you know you have to have um, uh, independent redistricting. This would give the state legislatures the ability to just completely ignore the Constitution because they feel like it. Um, So it's a super dangerous um, ruling. If Republican, if the Supreme Court goes against that, this would cripple the Republican effort to just completely rig elections for several years because they would have to go back and start over from scratch. It would be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in that case. I mean, I, like, I wonder whether the sort of Roe versus Wade backlash has um, made the court. It uh, might have spooked them because yeah, it spooked them and feared for their own sort of relevance, right? And and you know, perhaps this will ensure that decisions going forward aren't nearly as politicized as this. Uh, one one hopes. I still think you know. Um, I still think they should stay at the court. Personally, I'm, I'm in favour of that. I'm in favour of Biden oh, just staying at the court. It's not going to happen. Biden's too cautious. But um, well, look, let's 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 we'll, we'll move on from the Supreme Court. It's a very interesting case. We'll stay on top of that one, for everyone. Uh, just quickly, briefly, uh, the Fed has paused rate hikes. Inflation dropped to four percent, which is good. That's very good. That's almost in half since. Um, yeah, it, t- uh, it topped out at nine percent last June, and last now it's year. down to four percent. Right. right, right. So this is great news for Biden. Uh, the, the Fed, uh, the Fed pausing isn't permanent, um, but we're going to see what happens. They're obviously playing it by ear. I feel like you know the the Fed doesn't have a huge amount of power over the economy, right? They have very blunt instruments to dampen things like inflation, right? Uh, and it's it's a blunt instrument, and it causes a lot of pain. But I don't. There, there aren't really many options. There aren't really many other options. Uh, but I think this does look quite good uh, because it means that we're probably going to avoid a recession. Well, that's the insane thing. Like every time they do this, well, not every time, but almost every time, like 90% of the time that they do the rate hikes, rate hikes, rate hikes, rate hikes, you start seeing job losses. And that hasn't happened. That hasn't happened, right, exactly. Which is one of the reasons they kept hiking it so hard. They kept hiking it so fast. One, because inflation wasn't coming down super quick like it didn't plummet but also because jobs kept going up and there were some of the economists that were like well if you have rate hikes jobs have to go down you have to start losing jobs otherwise it's not working and other economists were like no 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 you don't have to lose jobs it doesn't it's not a prerequisite that you have to have unemployment so relax you know just because people aren't suffering doesn't mean it's not working and there's some of them who got really really annoyed that people weren't suffering because they're assholes, but whatever. But it seems right. to be working right now. Inflation's right. dropping, and unemployment hasn't suddenly spiked. So that's awesome, and really bad for Republicans. <laughs> good, good news again going into twenty twenty four. So listen, both sides this week we have a, a, a reversal on our both sides. This is your idea, Justin. And yes, it's such a good week. I figured why end on a down note. So look, we always usually in our both sides segment, we do an example of insane Republican behavior that to highlight the fact that both sides are not the same. Right. I sort of I don't know. I I tire of talking about this, but uh, yet I know that I always we always have to talk about this because it's so necessary. It's so prevalent in the media uh, and in the sort of chattering classes, right, that this concept of both sides being equivalent, right? We're going to go into this in the emergency meeting as well with Tulsi Gabbard, right? And uh, we'll talk more about that in a second. But it's just, it is not true that both sides are the same. And it takes all of like one minute of research to understand this. And talking to anybody who's who's ever worked in government to realize that both sides are not the same. I mean, I like I I know people in the DOJ, for example, who have worked under both administrations, and the difference is night and day. Um, there are things that get funded, there are things that get gutted when, particularly when Republicans come in. Um, you, you know, government agencies essentially fall apart. Uh, so at every level in society, Republican. Like, I don't think people genuinely understand how extreme Republicans are, at least 
our audience does, no doubt, but I would say lots of most Americans have no idea how catastrophic Republican rule is and Republicans in government are because it's not a political party, in my opinion. Um, so every anyway, every week we do this segment, but this week we're going to highlight something different, which is something that Democrats do, right? That Republicans don't do. So Justin, your your pick this week of the reverse of both sides. What is something a, a Democrat does that Republicans definitely don't do? Well, I picked Harrison Ford. Um, because he's in the news. He's got a new movie coming out, which I'm super excited about. Um, you know, the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And he was, uh, he was doing an interview and, uh, with Kevin uh, Polloway, who I'm not familiar with. But he asked, Indi- he asked Harrison Ford about whether or not Indiana Jones would currently, today, would he still punch a Nazi? And um, his answer was awesome. Do you want to play the audio? In terms of real life resonance, Indiana Jones has taken on this elevated symbolic significance in the recent years because we've actually seen bizarrely a proliferation of actual real life Nazis parading around and some of them are getting punched. So what I want to know is would the ultimate Nazi puncher, Indiana Jones, would he, would he support these people doing the punching? He'd push them out of the way uh, to, to get in the first punch <laughs> as, as well he should. Yeah, uh, that was a black and white world, mm-hmm. and this evil presented itself to the world. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's in, it's it's uncal it's incalculable that that this that this vision of of evil not be confronted. Well said, sir. Well said. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you could be a white supremacist, right? And you know, you're a scumbag and I don't like you. You could be a white nationalist and you're a scumbag and I don't like you. If you're a Nazi, you are telling me that you want to murder every Jew, every black person, every LGBTQ, every Muslim, all of them. That's what a Nazi is. A Nazi is someone you cannot, you cannot separate genocide from Nazism. That is its core principle, is that if you're not one of us, you have to be exterminated. That is the point of being a Nazi. So when you put on a swastika and you walk around doing your little Nazi salute, you're saying, I want to kill you, and I'm going to if I get the chance, which means I get to punch you in the face because you're making a direct threat to my life. You're saying, I want to kill you. Okay, punch. Yep, punch I'm a always Nazi. Up. Always up for punching a Nazi. Always um, punch a Nazi. So look, well, mine is a little bit more. Actually, how should we say mainstream or or um, have <laughs> a slightly more conservative pick? I've got Joe Biden. Joe Biden, who's vetoed a GP, GOP resolution repealing EPA pollution rules. Uh, President Joe Biden vetoed Republicans' efforts to roll back an environmental protection agency standard related to vehicle pollution. Biden announced his veto on Twitter on Wednesday. This is by the Washington Examiner, by the way. This is like. Uh, this is not a pro-Biden website, but here we go. This <laughs> Biden said, earlier I vetoed a Republican resolution to repeal an EPA standard that will make our air cleaner and prevent thousands of premature deaths by limiting hazarded heavy-duty vehicle pollution. This would take us backwards in our fight against air pollution, so I'm blocking it, Biden said. Thank you. Thank you. Right? This is what Democrats do when they're in office. They do things like this, right? They fight back. First of all, when Republicans are in office, they roll back EPA regulations, uh, make the environment dirtier. Like you remember, like uh, George W. Bush's Clean Skies Act, which essentially allowed <laughs> it was a yeah, sort it's of just a, like poor poor double, pollution into the air. It's clean. We'll call it Clean Air Act, right? Uh, Democrats get in and they they block this stuff. So you might not like a lot of what Democrats do. You might think that they are weak, um, you know, incapable of fighting back against Republicans or don't go far enough, etc. Some of them are even corrupt. Some some Democrats are not great. Some Democrats are, but they are nothing like Republicans, right? And uh, uh, old Joey, Uncle Joey, has, uh, has has proved it once again. So this is why you must vote for Democrats, and this is why, at least in America, uh, there is one political party that is uh, a political party, and the other which is a fascist insurgency. There we go. Anyway, listen. Um. You'll notice that sound, everybody. <laughs> That's the sound of the emergency meeting. Emergency meeting. Emergency meeting. Um, 
this week we are going to be talking about Tulsi Gabbard. I have a uh, frankly horrifying audio clip of, of her recent speech. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into Tulsi Gabbard. Who is Tulsi Gabbard? Where did she come from? Um, there's some very surprising facts about Tulsi uh, that we're going to be talking about. And why is she going out and defending Trump um, and accusing Biden of uh, using the Department of Justice to get rid of a political opponent. We're going to be talking about that in the emergency meeting. For everybody else, thank you very much. You can come and join us in the emergency meeting, get a 50% discount on a Bantam membership, and you'll get access to everything we do. You'll get access to the emergency meeting podcast, members-only articles, chat threads, um, uh, and a lot more. You'll be part, you'll also be supporting independent media. We are 100% subscriber-funded, and uh, we hope to remain that way. So join us there, and for the rest of you, we'll see you next week. Adios.